I am an authority on how to do everything wrong. I, uh, I got married and basically thinking that I was marrying another guy with, you know, with different plumbing. And when it finally dawned on me that she was really different from me, it was, uh, it was, it was scary to be really brutally honest. And uh, let me relate a story that, that I, I know a number of you guys have heard. Um, Gail and I had been married for, I don't know, seven, eight years, something like that. And, and just for you guys who don't know her, she's the finest person I've ever met. I mean, she's just pure gold. And our, the fighting we had in our early marriage was me plus nothing. I was the problem. I just, I didn't want to grow up. Um, so anyway, we're like seven or so years married. And <clears throat> we had started a fight, um, you know, like six, seven o'clock in the evening. And it's now three or four o'clock in the morning. And we're laying in bed. I'm facing the wall. And she's facing the back of my head talking to the back of my head, Jerry, roll over, we have to talk. Jerry, roll over, we have to talk. And I'm thinking to myself, we've been talking for six hours now. What's left? And I literally said to God, please, oh, please, oh, please, roll a boulder out of heaven and crush me right now. Because I don't want to talk to her. I don't know what she wants. I just don't know. And so the Holy Spirit pops a verse into my head. Whoever wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life, that's me, will lose it. Oops. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And I'd always thought that that was like some kind of you know, missionary verse or something. But at that second, I realized it was for me and that my not wanting to talk to her was saving my life. I mean, think about this. Here's a grown man who aspires to be godly, is afraid to turn over and talk to his wife. What a pathetic picture. And so I rolled over and I don't, I don't remember how the conversation went, but it was, a, it was a change that I realized a couple of things. Number one, that was transferable to all of my relationships. That I was in relationships, whether it was with Gail or other people, for what I could get and not what I could give. Gentlemen, I didn't sit down and do a calculation of that. I wasn't thinking, you know, every time I meet somebody, okay, what can I get out of this guy? But I knew in my soul of souls that that's how I was. And the second thing that occurred to me was that in getting married, I had gotten married to use her. I've never met a, a groom who says, you know what, I just cannot wait for our wedding night so I can start meeting my wife's needs. That's not how we're wired, right? Let's face it, men get married for sex. Now there may be other reasons as well, but take sex out of the equation. And most of us are prob probably bachelors. So I realized I had a choice to make. I was either going to start looking for ways to meet her needs and to minister to her, or I was, in effect, denying Christ because she is the daughter of the great king. And how I treat her, he will bring me to account for. So it was a life-changing thing. And I would be lying to you if I said I'm a perfect husband or a perfect friend, or perfect anything. I'm, I'm not. 
but it changed the way I looked at everything. Let me just pause, ask for thoughts, comments, questions. What is that uh, Bible version? Luke 9, 23 and 24. Good comments. Gentlemen, let's talk about headship for a second. Um, you are the head of your wife. It really doesn't matter whether you want to be. It really doesn't matter whether she wants you to be. You are the head of your wife. And you will give an account for your headship. And she is to be subject to you. And she will give an account for how she responded to your headship. So gentlemen, reality is you are head and she is to be subject to you. And so a man does well to think very carefully about what he wants his headship to look like. Let me offer some thoughts that were, that were, that were shared with me many, many years ago that have, I found very, very helpful. Number one, as head, I'm responsible for establishing purpose and values in the home. Those purpose and values are to be prepared for eternity and the values that we're going to embrace are the word of God and people. That's what we'll give our lives for. We're not going to give our lives for things and money. We're going to give it to people and the word. And the object of the game is getting those two things together, people in the Word. Secondly, I want to be able to make the final call on my ministry. And thirdly, I want to make the final call on my vocation. And Gail, after that, you can have whatever you want. Again, guys, I, my road has been very, very smooth except where I got in the way. Because as I said, I have, I have the best woman I've ever, best woman, best person I've ever known. So I just had to get my act together. But think carefully, men, about your headship. And not only that, you have to understand that you as head are responsible for setting the tone of the home. So you come home from work and it's been a bad day. And you come in and you bark at your wife. She barks at the kids. The kids kick the dog. The dog chases the cat. And everybody's miserable. You set the tone for the home. And I would encourage you men, I don't know how many of you work from the home versus driving someplace. But before you encounter your wife and your kids, you do well to do some mental adjustments and spiritual adjustments. I'm not going to walk in there and start a fight. I'm not going to walk in there and create chaos. Your wife has been home taking care of your kids. And men... That is a job that is first thankless and secondly,
far more important than whatever work you do. And you need to communicate that to her. When you go to work, you make mud balls, and that's all. The product of your work gets burned up. It goes away. But she's working with those little kids of yours and investing in them in a way that nobody else ever will. And she's taking little lumps of coal, and if she's doing her job, she's making those little kids into diamonds. And men, if there's a higher calling than motherhood, I, I'm not sure I know what it is. And it's our job to, if, if your wife is home taking kids, to affirm her and affirm her and affirm her. Because men, again, why do you want to be out there as though there's some sort of significance to be derived? Not only that, when you enter the world, when you enter the marketplace, your wife is moving out from under the curse of Eden that was meant for you. I'm sorry, that was, that was her, the curse for her has to do with a home, has to do with husband and kids. But the curse for men has to do with livelihood. Why would I want to have my wife under my curse? Come up for air? Thoughts? Tom, are the curses that God pronounces, let's forget the serpent, but the curses that he pronounces on Eve and Adam, are they punitive or are they redemptive? If that's the case, your redemption involves your vocation and hers home. That's how God made us. Now we have convinced one another that that's not true, but that's just a sign of what a stupid age we live in. You know, there's an old proverb, it's not in the Bible. The hand, that rocks the, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the nation. Because that's the influence that traditional motherhood has had on raising <laughs> kids. And gentlemen, just, just note with me that your relationship with your wife, number one, has to be, your kids have to see how much you love her. You give them a great gift if you do that. But secondly, I lost my train of thought. I'll come back. It'll come back. Um, what was your question again, Tom? Ask me that one more time. <laughs> we were digging into the Genesis 3 curses and they are redemptive in nature. Yes, thank you. I, I got the thought back. Got the thought back. Yeah. The second thing is, you have to understand that your wife can turn your kids against you anytime she wants. If she wants to undermine you in the eyes of your children, she'll find it very, very easy to do. And so you and she have to be in lockstep. And gentlemen, that process of oneness, that doesn't happen overnight. It happens under a man who is serious about headship, a wife who is serious about submission, and both who are in complete submission to Jesus. Then that begins to happen. But short of that, not much chance. Not much chance at all. Gary, in, in, in Corinthians, I think it was seven, it was said that wife can turn the kids against just for glimpses of any time. But Corinthians 7 says that it's still under God, God's still in control. I think it was seven or eight, something like that. You're talking about the wife, or the husband and wife who are unequally yoked? No, I'm talking 
Yeah, this, the, that, that part of, of 1 Corinthians 7, Tom, is he's addressing the problem of two, here's, here's a married couple and one of them comes to Christ and the other one doesn't. So that's the issue he's addressing. And his point is, number one, don't divorce the unbelieving spouse. Number two, if they leave, then, then they leave. But number three, if they stay, then God will use the unbelieving partner to influence the kids for him. In other words, God will protect those kids. <clears throat> submission she grabbed out of Philippians. What a great deal, right? And I walked around not realizing her interests for a long time. I walked around calling the shots and frankly reflected on the selfishness of it. And we course corrected and I realized other than setting a purpose and making sure my house follows the Lord and his commands, I was going to be softer about what I prescribed down, down way. And I worked on my process, right? How do I make decisions? And I don't know that I gave Danielle a great viewpoint in what that process was earlier. When I finally did, it felt like a lot more fell into what was going to be permissive in our house than, than not. Now we're at a point where there's things that are coming to risk. I'll just lay out an example right now. Dorothy is in a public school. She's in the fifth grade. And I'm worried about the influence around her. Because she's been a strong girl up until now. And now I see her falling into wanting to please people around her. And I said, I think we need to pull Dorothy home. And our deal was... <clears throat> raise them and do all that, but that when they went to school, she would have that time to meet with other women, to do what her ministry is. And now I'm going back to your most important ministry is these two kids, and I think we need to pull Dorothy home. And she's resisted. How do I, how do I lay this out before you? And she's fourth grade? Fifth grade? How do I lay this out before that I gave you, I gave you that freedom, and now I need you. I need to take it back. And if we're not, we're not in a world of commands. I feel like we're in this world of purpose, and I'm trying to define it. But I think Dorothy needs this. What do I do? I think you pull the trigger. If you think it's of the Lord, and and they obviously you, you explain to her, she's gonna. Her, her ability to really get her arms around it is going to be limited. But you have to say or do, say to her, do you trust me? And James, as, as a father and a husband, your most important commodity is credibility. And credibility, in the old days, you didn't have to really earn credibility. You were simply the head just by just by the fact that you were the man. That's not that way anymore. Credibility has to be purchased. And one of the, there's a lot of ways to purchase it. But one of the ways is you want both your wife and your kids to perceive you as the go-to guy. You do not ever want to be perceived by them to be an obstacle to where they're trying to go. And so there may be so you're looking for ways to say yes. But on those rare occasions where you have to say no, A, you better be right. And B, how they respond to it is going to be intertwined with the credibility you've developed over the years. And James, I think when, when kids start to go sideways a little. A lot, a lot of times when I counsel guys, 
I, I think to myself, oh Lord, this is five to 10 years too late. We should have, we should have been talking about this back then. You want to, with, with kids, you want to make minor course corrections. You don't want to have to lower the boom. You don't want to have to have these major course corrections. So you want, part of your job is to anticipate where things are going to go south and make the appropriate minor course corrections so it doesn't become a household catastrophe. James, um, th this is this, this is an, an answer of style rather than Ooh, thus saith the Lord. I personally, with my kids, uh, one, I did not impose Bible study or anything like that on them. And they were going to Christian schools or they were being homeschooled, and so they were exposed. I wanted that game to come to me. And that, to get the game to come to you involves modeling. So if you want, for example, your kids to be hungry for Christ, you better be hungry yourself. And you can't fake it because they know. Your wife and your kids know if you're a phony. So you purchase credibility that way on that, on that side of the equation. But another way you purchase credibility is by spending time with them. And so I would encourage you to start dating your daughter. Just the two of you, get out there. And is she a talker? Is she revealed what's in here? So you got your hands full, I get it. I would, I would use that to your advantage and talk it through with her. Just spend some time with her. Take her seriously. Listen to her. And, and then act as you think the Lord wants you to act. It's been a great road with Doc because she was my hard one. She was the willful one. And so it was easy to see me and her and to empathize and to get down her level. Now I'm starting to get to the you ain't going to get better, my friend. <laughs> yeah. I, in, if that were me, I would take decisive action. You can't let that happen. Because as you know, you said you've got a social daughter and that desire for social contact is going to grow. He said, uh, he said I, I got nothing. I would uh, invite you to consider that the best thing that we have is that you. So I date my daughters. I do. I start early. Any date that I date, I love it. And the sole um, intention that I have when I go in with those dates is just some of our kids, which is out of heaven, they take the absolute pride out of it. You know, they want to know what answers they're getting this lesson today. And you'd be surprised when you take them all alone by themselves and you spend time with them, how special they can be. And how, after a few days, they'll start to hear the truth from you. Things they've never shared with you before. So, I think the important skill as a father and this kind of transcends or translates to every relationship in your life that is so 
powerfully kill me is listening with the intent to understand and have them felt and feel understood. You can't get it anywhere else. So if you don't provide that to them, they're going to try to get that from you when it's you. And you're going to play that manipulative game because we all know humans. So having them, having their sole purpose on this date night be, I want this child to feel understood in a way that they never have. I say, well, you do have something. And then just going to add to that, um, based off what you said, I agree that decisive action is important, but just like leadership in a in the marketplace, good leaders are those who listen to people around them and seek counsel. That's what you're doing right now. Uh, it doesn't have to just be you that's helping determine what that decisive thing is. And when you talk about desire being social, it might be right that homeschooling, where she's isolated just your wife, might not be the best solution. What might be the best solution is changing the trends that are influencing her. There's this. The most successful homeschooling are the homeschooling um, co-ops, where maybe it's not that your wife has all the remote. She's part of the co-op where the one person's teaching English, and there's more interaction with kids that you want your daughter to socialize with. That was our big challenge with when our daughter went to school, is it was toxic. The people that were around her were bad influences, and she was not the type of person to be a positive influence on them. She was absorbing what they were getting. So, James, I think one of the things you want to communicate to her is that you trust her. It's the other crazies out there that you don't trust. But you trust her. And the last thing you want to do is have to go to law over this. When you have to go to law in any relationship, you can know that that relationship is in bad shape. It's deteriorating rapidly. You, you, you want to shore up whatever needs to be shored up with her. But make sure she understands. You trust her, but it's, it's a lot more dangerous out there than she realizes. Anything else, men? How, how much time do we have? When do we? Anybody know? Seven minutes. Okay. Um, I can give you a couple of, you know, just sort of a list of some things if you want to hear them. Um, number one, never pick a battle that you're not willing to go to the mat for. If, if you pick a battle, you must win. So just be very careful about which battles you pick. Number two, say what you mean and mean what you say. You see this with, with little kids particularly, where you say to the kid, um, put that toy down now. And they just look at you. And so you say it twice. And then you say it three times. And then your voice gets a little sterner. And you start walking towards them. And they put it down. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. So you don't have to play those silly games. Number three, never belittle or humiliate anyone in the family. Respect is due everybody. Home has got to be safe to be who you are. Number three or four, don't nitpick. And don't let your wife nitpick. Major on majors. Don't nitpick. 
Number five, remember that when, where, and how you say something is as important as what you say. Choose very carefully the timing and the manner in which you say a thing. Number six, never compromise on essentials. Word of God is the word of God. We, we're not going to debate it. Never compromise on what? The essentials. Now, I may make up some rule that you think is unreasonable. So just come to me and talk to me about it. Convince me, and I'll change it. But we won't do that with the word. It is what it is, and we're not going to compromise it. Number seven, never disagree in front of the kids. If there's a disagreement, take it away. That's not for their eyes or their ears. Can I on that or push on that a little bit? As in seeing healthy conversation, disagreement versus a blood battle? You'll have plenty of that with them. They need to see you as one. You know, uh, guy that came from a broken home, his second home was at my parents' place. And he really holds my parents up to a high level. They've been gone for years and years. Anyway, his marriage has not been good. And uh, I was involved in visiting with him one time. He talked about how my dad was the head of the household. I said, yeah, there's no question that he was. I said, but we all knew that my dad put himself way last. And he put my mother and the rest of us way in front of him. So it's not very hard to fall somebody that operates that way. Big amen. Thank you. Hey, Jerry, to add on that last comment, if, um, if you find yourself in disagreement in front of your children, the most healthy thing to do is to also show them how you can be right in front of your children. <coughs> so when Aunt Bertha wound up in some kind of discourse in front of the kids, the best thing is to <coughs> take care of those things in front of them. Yeah, I disagree. Take care of that in privacy, and then come to them with a resolution. Let me ask you this, what you're saying. I agree with you, but when I fail, I humble myself and apologize again to my daughter to my wife and say, I shouldn't have questioned you. That's part of getting back in line with that unified thing. Yeah, I think coming clean with our wife, with our kids is essential. If you screw up, don't make excuses for it. Just come clean. Ask for their forgiveness. Again, men, so much of what we're trying to do with our families comes from modeling rather than what we say with our words. So if you want, for example, your kids to be generous, you got two options. You can force them or you can be generous with them. If you want your kids to be servants, you've got two options. You can force them to serve or you can serve them. If you want your kids to be grateful, you can take everything away from them until they're grateful, or you can model gratitude yourself. I suggest the modeling is much more effective. Jerry, um, you can always deny And I, I, have, I would have to willfully agree to you on know, the number of guys that I've talked to and tell them I look, I'm not an example of <coughs> 
I get to be the one who is really honest. It's a his wife right there. It is not down, drag out, scratch eyes out blood. And if you got to bring your kids, it's a bad example. Very seldom do we truly lay down our lives for our wives. Very nice to And a bad for leadership. But I, I think fear is right, I think. No, I think it's better behind closed doors, unless you're a saintly man better than you are. I just about. haven't seen it. Though. You know, you did something offensive, and you kill him off, you know, and you just, you know, it's not, not, not fair. Yeah. You should apologize. That's, that, <coughs> yeah. This woman that, that's crazy. different. Apologizing yeah, and asking for forgiveness and confessing your opinion yeah. is different than what I think Jerry's describing. I think we're talking about the context of when we're talking to kids. Don't let kids, it's amazing how much they can sense when they're splitting against them. It's almost like they're born with that instinct. So what you're saying is so important because if you're constantly having that child that you're trying to, you love them, you're trying to tell them something, they're at the same time trying to pull you apart. So this is a very important topic for the reality of it. So I think that's the context in which you're, am I right, you're saying don't fight before the kids. Well, and I agree, each never fight, period. But you're going to fight. And they're going to come to the movies. They're going to be outside the door listening. You guys, you young guys have a lot harder hold over all the old stuff. Yeah. You guys, you young guys have a lot harder hold over all the roles in the marriage than us boomer generation. Especially our daughters, because this whole social media stuff is absolutely devastating to young girls. It's, it is a epidemic in this country, the, the things that it's doing to young girls specifically, uh, attacking their self-esteem, attacking the whole idea of morals, the, the worldview that's, and Mark said, it's, it's an all-out attack. So even homeschooling, you're going to have to keep the, the social media away from them. It's, it's, it's a constant bombardment from all angles. Yeah, I raised my kids. Fortunately, you know, we didn't have to deal with a lot of things that you're dealing with right now. But for me, I'm a black and white kind of guy. I understand your wife wanting to be, you know, more in the word with your daughter. I, but there's just so much going on in the public school system. We don't, you know, if it wasn't for COVID, we wouldn't know a lot of what's going on. And, and what we do know, the very little that we do know it seems like every day we find out more and more and more that's just so demonic. So for me, <clears throat> I wouldn't want them in a public school system. I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but I just, it's black and white to me. Rick, as I survey the educational landscape, I see a desert. It's really, really, really hard to find a place to send a kid to get an education. Yeah. yeah I mean, more and more highly educated, doctorate, Christian men are saying they do not recommend encouraging the children to go to college. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, and these are people that really appreciate education. You know it's bad when the non- Christian secular community is starting to homeschool their kids. We've got this culture, though, too, which is so overwhelming that we don't need men. Women take a good career or job. Well, gentlemen, if you are not fearful in your marriage, if you are not fearful about your kids, you're not in touch with reality. You need time on your knees for yourself, for your wife, for your kids. And your prayers may be the only thing between them and disaster. Jerry, how does um, the role of love in this group apply when you the love that Jesus demonstrates and the love that God has for us? And, yeah. and the trust or the faith that we have that when we can't help how to parent children, then we have to trust that at some point we need to let go of that. 
Gentlemen, it seems to me that it is the nature of human relationships that each of the persons in the relationship believe that they are giving more than they are getting. So you have two guys who are buddies and you ask them, do you get more or do you give more in the relationship? And they say, oh, well, you know, it's, uh, I, I probably do give, give more. I mean, I, I hate to say that because I get, you know, I, I get a lot, but I, I'm giving more. Then you ask the other guy that he just said he was talking about, he'll say the same thing. I give more than I get. That's the nature of human relationships. That's something you need to change. That's something you need to make a mental adjustment and a spiritual adjustment about, that you are in relationships forgiving. And that if you are, if your attitude is that of service, you will get more than the other person because, not because it may, it may not happen right now, but eternally speaking, the payoff is massive. Whoever wishes to be great among you must become servant of all. You will get more, but the key to getting is giving. And we need to view all of our relationships in that manner, including our wives, our kids. And gentlemen, again, we're talk we've been talking about credibility. You buy great credibility with your wife and your kids if they perceive that to be true. They'll be eaten out of your hands if, that really, if they really catch that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I've been in a few of the marriage studies and all the meetings and whatnot, and we've been through some of Walt's old like, teachings. And what I've noticed, and I've seen it today, is why do you think that when we sit down and talk about marriage, the conversation seems to always transition to we spend a very little time on our wives and before you know it, we're transitioning to our kids. And I think that's inherent. I mean, my belief is it's inherently that that's where we see our, weak, our weakness. Our true weakness is in the way we treat our wives. And so we want to focus. And I think often with our kids, we want to, we, we feel like we still have hope with our kids. And we feel like when it comes to our relationships with our wives, um, We've, we've, we've failed so much already. How do we really truly repair that relationship? But, but our conversations always seem to transition to the kids. And we're, I think we, we often, why do you think that? Why do you think, why do you think that it is? I think, Eric, it's because people are ticks. And a tick needs a dog. And we get married. And we each think we're marrying a dog. That is, I'm a tick, and I'm viewing my wife as the dog, and I'm going to get my needs met by her. On her side of the equation, she sees me as the dog, and she's going to get her needs met by me. And then one day you wake up, and you got two ticks and no dog. And that's a bad day. But it's a good day. Because now you're finally in touch with reality. You are a tick and so is she. And you got, <clears throat> you got one play because there's only one big dog in the universe, Jesus Christ. And so now you both have to make a commitment. Lord, I am going to have my needs met by you. I will not use her anymore. I'm going to love her as Christ loves the church. Come hell or high water. God, I know you will hold me accountable for this, and that's what I'm going to do. And Eric, the, if you marry the right woman, the relationship starts to change. Is there baggage that you have to unload? Of course. But it takes... Gosh, we have so much invested in getting married, right? You just think it's going to be dreamland. And it's not because she's a fellow tick and she wants to suck the blood out of you. You've got to make that transition to quit using your wife. And gentlemen, that, that includes in the marriage bed that 
as men, we, we, are, we are programmed to get our needs met sexually. And that's a very hard thing to overcome. But I encourage you men that you pray before you enter that time with your wife and that you purpose in your own heart, I am going to meet her needs, her sexual needs. And she's the object of this encounter, not me. God, take care of me. Please take care of me. Because you know my inclinations, you know my proclivities, you know, gosh, oh God, I'm afraid to admit this. Sorry to admit this, but I've used your daughter and I don't want to do that anymore. Please take care of me and meet my needs. That's a good place to start. Jerry, if, if in that scenario where we both wake up and realize we're ticks, if my wife doesn't necessarily recognize that she's a tick, it's probably best I keep my mouth shut. <laughs> How long you been married? I'd be surprised if she doesn't know it. Deep down somewhere. How can you be married for 10 years and realize this jerk hasn't met my needs? So, oh, no. She knows that. Okay. <laughs> so I, I think, uh, so the, the question to ask her is, well, who can? And if you, if you think somebody else can, go ahead and divorce me and marry him. I think what I'm, what I'm hearing from today is even with submission uh, and the curse is it's best if as the husband we're modeling, modeling more speaking less. Correct. I, I think that's true, my brother, but I just remind you of one thing, that we men are cowards and that as, as my mentor used to say, we love competition and hate confrontation, and we especially hate confrontation with our wives. Now, I'm not suggesting you find ways to fight with her. There's, those will come along. But there are some things, there are times when you have to confront. And if you refuse to do that, at that point, she becomes head of the home, not you. Gentlemen, I just remind you, when you, if you, if you go to Revelation chapter 21 and you read verse 8, it is a list of those who go to hell. The first two on the list are cowards and unbelief. We cannot afford to be cowards at home. There's just too much at stake. Revelation 21.8. Go for it, go for it, Tom. I, I'm saying, what does it say? I know you are, but I don't. Re I didn't memorize the whole thing. <laughs> you're, you're, you're embarrassing me. Jack, Jack's probably pulled it up. So that's a rogues gallery of badness, right? But the two top ones are cowards. And unbelief. We all do, Tom. It is our nature. Gentlemen, I think, let, let, me, let me suggest something to you. <clears throat> God goes looking for Adam after the fall. And he says, asks him a question. He says, where are you? And Adam says, this is Acts 3.10. He says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And Tom, I can't prove this, but I can tell you that that is true for one man. It is true for me. There, I, I, my nakedness is that deep down, I don't think I have what it takes to be a real man. I know that's true. And that makes me afraid. What am I afraid of? I'm afraid you'll find out and then you'll reject me. And so I hide. There's a, there's a lot of ways to hide. You can hide behind money. You can hide behind bluster and bravado. You can hide behind achievement. 
tons of ways to hide. But the, the world has created one and only one real man, and that's Jesus. The only safe place for any of us is in that yoke with him. Now, being in his yoke may not make you a man, but it gives you the courage to act like one. Every morning we ought to wake up and say, Lord, I want to be in that yoke with you. And I don't want to ever leave it. And that's why Paul says, be strong, be courageous, act like men. Then say, be a man, act like one. My brothers, that's part of what is so destructive about the culture in which we live because we have destroyed masculinity. We have destroyed manliness. And men learn how to be men from other men. And the modeling is virtually non-existent. I say this half-jokingly to guys, sometimes to young guys, and they say, what, do, what does a man look like? I say, go, go watch some black and white movies. There were real men then. They acted differently than the guys who are supposed to be men today act. John Wayne, Randolph Scott, those guys acted like men. They just conduct themselves differently. They hold themselves differently. Time? Are we okay? We're done? Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Jerry. Jerry. Um.